chapter 10, verse 30. If you got it, somebody say, yeah. If you don't have it, that's okay. It's actually going to pop up on the screen. You can read it uh, with me. Here's what it says. So Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothes, they wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain pastor, I mean priest, sorry, I can't read well, came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a church member, I'm sorry, I mean a Levite, sorry, I'm just struggling with the words. Y'all thought I really couldn't read the first time. The second time, like, oh, he's doing that on purpose. When he arrived at the place, came, and at least this guy looked. Oh, he looked dead. And passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Somebody say compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Hey, can we pray? Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that you are the king. You're the victorious one. You are high and lifted up. But God, you don't just desire to keep your victory and your glory to yourself, but you desire that we be seated where you are in a place of victory, in a place of overcoming. So God, I pray over every single person in the sound of my voice, those in the room, those in Baltimore, those online, God, in this moment, God, that you would still a heart of a champion of victory in our hearts, that you would heal the brokenhearted, that you bring sight to the blind, that you bring hope to the weary. God, we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on, Baltimore, say amen. Type it in the chat, amen and amen. Hey, here at Destiny Church, um, to keep the pastor, which is me, from preaching for four hours long, which everybody loves. Nobody said amen. <laughs> I don't even love that. So what we do is we break a thought or a message up into different parts. It's called a message series or a sermon series. So over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Fight or Flight. Fight or Flight. And here's the thought or the mindset behind this series and really my heart for you is that life will turn everybody into a fighter. You, you, you kind of just don't have any choice about it. At some point, you are going to be in a position where you're going to have to fight for something that's valuable to you. You're going to have to fight for your marriage. You're going to have to fight for the purity of your children. You're going to have to fight for your hope, fight for your joy. Life just has a way of putting you in a position where you're going to have to fight. Right now, a lot of us are fighting for sanity as this whole COVID season and corona season kind of just extends longer and longer and longer. Right now, all of us are fighting against fear. 
It's amazing. I'm not normally, I'm not a germaphobe. I'm not a squeamish person. I don't really care. I don't get the flu often. But even me, I'm a little jumpy right now. Not right now, but just kind of in this season. You'll go to Target or Walmart or whatever it may be, and someone sneezes like four aisles away from you. Am I the only one? And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Get them out of here. You're looking for the hazmat for quarantine. Everybody's fighting fear right now. And one of the things that breaks my heart is there's so many people that are in this season that are losing that fight. That you're not leaning into it and throwing hands. You could tell I could fight, right? <laughs> Don't laugh at me. It's not that funny. But a lot of people are picking flight. A lot of people, life has you on the run and as I've been praying over you, praying over this message, praying over this season, one of the things that just crossed my mind, even beginning with COVID and Rona and all that other kind of stuff, is that this COVID pandemic season wasn't the first fight you were facing. You know, it's one thing if life was perfect and then a pandemic hits. And it's like, whatever, I got 50 Gs in the bank, I can lose my job, I'm fine, I actually been tired, I wanna stay in the house for eight weeks long and I'm healthy and all this other kind of stuff. But if truth be told, and honestly, you should tell the truth in church, that every one of us, we were fighting a fight before this national fight. Maybe a fight in your mental health, fighting with discouragement or depression, maybe your marriage was on, It's one thing to, 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 to be locked in the house with your spouse for three months straight. It's a whole nother story where things were rough before that moment. And as if God threw you in there, locked the door, and threw away the key. Really? This is... Some of y'all are like, no, it's not my spouse. It's my teenager. I've been locked up and I'm about to lay hands and it ain't going to be Holy Spirit hands. Maybe some of you, you were battling a sickness before this whole season started. For a lot of you, this isn't the first round of your fight. It's the 12th round. And life just has you on your heels. It just has you running. If you were to be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I know Jesus is victorious, but I'm not feeling very victorious right now. In this passage that we read, it says that there was a man that he, he was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 17-mile walk. That's a long walk, y'all. I, I, I hate walking from the parking lot into the store. I'm the guy who will drive around for 10 minutes to find me a space that's close just so I've got to walk an extra 30 seconds. I am that lazy. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> but it was a 17-mile walk from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this walk was notorious for being treacherous. It was famous for the thieves and the robbers and the different people along that journey. It was almost as if you should expect to get robbed if you walk that street. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm reading this passage and I see it says there was a certain man and he's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and I'm not as, you're going to find, I'm not as, 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 as religious as a lot of people. I actually ask my Bible questions. And I'm just like, but Why? Why are you so dumb? Can you say that in church? I just did. Why are you walking that by you? Bruh, you're going to get robbed. It's like, you, you ever watch that movie and you see that one guy running off into the woods by himself? 
And you're like, what are you doing? That is not the way to live to the end of this movie. You're not going to make it. If you don't have common sense, at least look at your contract. Your contract says you only make it through 15 minutes of the movie. Don't go off into the woods by yourself. You, you're kind of just like, of course you're going to get robbed. Of course you're going to get jacked. That's what happens on that road. You should have known that. It's amazing how we look at people in a situation and we say, you should have known that. There's the thought that crossed my mind. Obviously, he didn't want to get robbed. He didn't want to get beat up. He didn't want to get left for dead. So he must have been in a situation where for some reason he had no choice about that journey. I feel like if he was here to talk for himself, he would say, hey, stop judging me. I didn't want to walk down that road, but, but I had no choice. And, and, and what a lot of theologians believe is that Jerusalem was like Washington, D.C., Everybody worked there, but nobody could afford to live there. <laughs> so they work in D.C., but they live in Montgomery County or PG County or Woodbridge or Dumfries or somewhere else, and they commute in. Anybody got caught in that 495 traffic one day on the wrong day? You're just sitting there. You might as well have a prayer time because you're not going anywhere. And for that journey, a lot of priests, a lot of Levites, a lot of different employees, they would live in Jericho. They would walk every morning or ride every morning to Jerusalem, and they would walk back at night. If he were here, he would say, do you think I wanted to walk down a path where my life ended up in this position? But yet we look at that single mom, and we're like, how did you end up like that? Or that divorcee, you should have known that. Or that person who can't seem to kind of get their feet, they're burying together. It's amazing how we judge people. Just like, get it together. Do you really think I would be in this situation if I had a choice? Here's the thing you got to understand. Sometimes life deals you a hand that you don't have a choice about. If I could pick, I wouldn't be in this situation. I pick, I wouldn't be foreclosed, unemployed, or battling with mental health issues or whatever it may be. But this thing about life is life just turns you into a fighter. Life just puts you in a position where you don't really have a choice. You just react to what's going on around you. It says these thieves, they stood there and they waited for him. And it says when they got him, they ripped off his clothes. They wounded him and they left him for dead. Hear me, I'm going to encourage you in the end, but I got to give you some truth in the beginning. That there is a thief that is looking to wound you, steal your clothes and leave you for dead. You know, as a pastor in church, I can't start talking about demons and Satan. In the first three minutes of the message, because then you're gonna be like, whoa, it's a lot. Super, what are you talking about? It's like I call it life. Yeah, you know I mean, can I tell you what life is? First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this: be careful, watch out for attacks from life. That ain't life, that's the enemy. And Satan says, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion looking for some victim to tear 
apart. One of the things that we don't understand about life is that the enemy hates you. Why? I didn't do anything to him. What you don't realize is that God made you in his image. And your very existence exemplifies the glory of God. When you see yourself, you see your inconsistencies, your issues, your problems, the things about you that you're not proud of or that you wish you were different. But when God looks at you, he sees a reflection of himself. It's like you looking at your child. You don't look at them and say, why are you so short? They're short because you're short. You don't mind it because y'all just want a little short family. Or what if? <laughs> no, he looks at you and he says, that's my image. The enemy looks at you and he says, that's God's image. And I want to destroy it. And without even realizing it, we're walking through life. And the thief is stealing our cloak. Wounding us. And leaving us half dead. So the thief did three things. This is the first thing he did is, is it stole his clothes. It says it ripped his clothes off. Biblically, your clothes represent your righteousness. The Bible says that because Jesus died on the cross, he's given us a cloak of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's one of those churchy terms. Let me give you the definition. It means right standing with God. In other words, it means that you have the right to stand before God without any guilt or shame. That's the first thing that life, that the enemy takes from you, your ability to stand before God without guilt and shame. My, my wife and I, we like to go out to eat. She says her favorite thing to cook is a uh, recipe and uh, or a reservation, my bad. And uh, she, she's a phenomenal cook, but we just like to go out all over the place. And we'll go out almost every Friday is our date night and all this other good stuff. And, and, and it, it's kind of frustrating for me because I, I love to eat and, and I love food with sauces. Spaghetti sauce and all these different type of white sauces and I don't drink but vodka sauces and all this other kind of stuff. And the only problem is I eat like a five-year-old. It doesn't matter how hard I try. When I eat, it is going to be a full body experience. <laughs> it's getting on my shirt. It's getting on my pants. And I'm a grown man, so I refuse to tuck anything into my collar. I'm not about to be in somebody's steak restaurant with a little white napkin tucked in my shirt. I'm not doing it. And I don't know why. I, I think... I think, and if you're a chef in here, God bless you, you're awesome, I'm sure you can cook, but I think a lot of chefs are ashamed of their food. That's why it's so dark in a restaurant. It's like, let's just turn the lights, it's mood setting. No, you don't want us to see what you've put in front of us, that this steak is about as hard as a tire, so you turn the lights down, get a little bit of mood, put a candle, so you can't really see what's going on. Until you come out that restaurant and you realize, my goodness, that chicken parmesan was amazing. Sometimes my wife will say something smart like, did you enjoy that? And here's the thing. When I'm around her, I don't really care. She, 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 she also has these home remedies. We don't even, we don't have Tide pens. So she'll say, hey, can I get some limes? And some lemons. They should take a lime and a lemon and just brew it together, put some salt in it, say, hey, rub this on it, and it's gone. Until you get out into some light and you can see kind of the residues of it. <laughs> and when I'm around her, it's my wife, I don't care. But when we're going somewhere else, 
somewhere where it's a little bit more lit, <laughs> people who don't know me, <laughs> that know I do eat like a five-year-old. It's amazing how I'll just kind of tuck that part in there like that, hold my hand like that. <laughs> you can tell I'm good at this. I've done this before. How's it going? Good to see you. I'm so glad it's fall. It's getting into cold season so I can wear a jacket now. <laughs> got my jacket on, got my trench coat on. It's 90 degrees in that room. Would you like me to take your coat? Nope. For so many of us, that's what life is like. When we're around our, our friends, our family, the people that know us, we're not ashamed about the blemishes in our life. But righteousness is not about feeling comfortable around people. Righteousness is about standing confidently before God, saying, I have a right to be here. God, I'm sinless, I'm blameless. That's the first thing the thieves stole from that man. After they took his righteousness, the second thing they said, it says that they wounded him. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they had a club, a knife, or whatever. It stuck him up real good or something like that. You can tell I watch too much TV. But it says that they wounded him. Life, the enemy, has a way of wounding you. One of the things that I discovered about wounds is physical wounds are actually better than emotional wounds. Because when I break my leg, you know what to do with it. If I break my leg, you're going to take me to the hospital, and they're going to do an x-ray, and they're going to determine, is it a hairline fracture? Is it a compound fracture? One semester biology, that's all I got for you. <laughs> that was good, right? You're like, no, Pastor, that was elementary. And they're going to figure out what they have to do with it. Hey, just, just it's hairline. Just stay off of it for six weeks, and you'll be good. Oh, it's compound. We're going to have to put a cast on it. You're going to need to leave it elevated for six weeks, and then we'll reevaluate it. Sometimes it's a complete break, but it's fused back together, and they say, hey, we're going to have to set that bone. That's the devil, by the way. Set the bone means they're going to break you to heal you. There's a message in that, but we don't got the time. But when I have a physical wound, we know what to do. But what do I do when it's not my leg that's broken, it's my heart that's broken? Because that person that told me that till death do us part, they didn't really mean till death do us part. They meant until convenience do us part. And I gave all to someone who actually took all and then left. What do I do with the parts of my life that are broken in a place that a doctor can't fix and a doctor can't heal. You gotta understand that I told my wife that this business was gonna set up our great grandkids for life. I took all of our retirement, all of our investments and put it all into this dream. And in six months, I had nothing to show for it. Life has a way of wounding you in places where a physical doctor can never heal. And then it says that they left him half dead. Thought <laughs> to cross my mind. Why not kill him? Just <laughs> me. Killing him would have been too merciful. Life has a way where you're so wounded and so stripped of your godliness that you end up doing more damage to yourself than life has ever done to you. 
you just begin to self-destruct, whether it's through an addiction or a vice or through bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And the enemy's like, no, 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 I'm not going to finish you off. I'm going to leave you for nature to take its course because he's not just here to steal from you. But the Bible says in John 10.10, he came to steal, kill, and to destroy. Man, if I finish you off, it'll be quick. But if I leave you there suffering, your children are going to be offended. And your grandchildren are going to be affected. And I can mess up generations just by this one event. In church, we call it generational curses. So here's this man on the side of the road, bleeding out, half dead. But he's in luck because a priest or a pastor comes walking by. Here's the problem. Soon as the priest saw him, he went out of his way to cross to the other side of the street. I know this isn't theologically correct, but just go with me for a second. He was willing to walk into oncoming traffic, dodge cars, just to avoid a broken person. What, what does this priest represent? This priest represents religion. And hear me. Religion will always fail you. Pastor, I'm confused. Because you is religion. I mean, you're not, but you're the pastor. It sounds like you're preaching about yourself. And you're the one who told me I was welcome home in church. And church is where I need to come, so I'm confused. Hear me. Church is not about religion. Church is about a relationship. Can I tell you what religion is? Religion is a group of rules and rituals in which you are to execute to perfect yourself, to make yourself worthy of God's love. And that will always fail you because you will never be able to keep every rule, every ritual, every single day. And by the way, the Bible says that our best performance is as filthy rags before God. That's why so many people have left the church in the midst of this pandemic. I know that we've been online and everybody's locked up and there hasn't been physical gathering and all that, but I know some of y'all, you gone. You ain't home because you scared of no corona. You home because you've given up on God. Because I thought the church was supposed to get me joy through this season, hope through this season, peace through this season. For so many of us, we never put our faith in God. We put our faith in rules and rituals, performance. And it will always fail you. The next person to walk by was a Levite. And, and a Levite, they're religious, but they're not a priest. You see, a priest had all these different rules. They weren't allowed to touch a dead body. And, and they weren't allowed to do this and do that and all that kind of stuff. The Levite, I'll give you this way. The Levite is like the person that was out in the parking lot parking your car. Or the person that said, good morning, we're so glad you're here, but you can't get in without a ticket. <laughs> or, or, or the person that's praying over your children right now and leading them into worship, or the people that are standing behind. The, the Levites, were, they were religious, they were godly, but they weren't like the top of the food chain. They, they, were, they, were, they were normal people, they were helpers and all that. They, they were kind of like you and I. So I could only imagine when, when, when that man in the ditch saw that Levite come by and said, oh, here's finally somebody who understands. 
So somebody who's gotten it, who gets it, they've walked this journey with me, but yet that Levite crossed on the other side of the road and went on his own way. Because life will put you in a position where even your sorrow can't help you. That sibling that grew up in the same house with you can't help you. That friend that's been in your corner since elementary school and you, gosh, they're 40. Who has friendships that long? You, get, you do. You're blessed. God bless you. We're not jealous. <laughs> but life will put you in a position where you're grasping, can somebody understand? Can somebody, can somebody help me get rid of this pain? There'll be nobody there. Pastor, I got a crew. They got me. They're ride or die. They'll never fail me. Respectfully, you just haven't lived long enough. Life will put you in a place where another human can't help you. Then finally, this Samaritan comes walking by, and I wish I had time to preach about the Samaritans. They were the least respected people in all of Israel. They were considered cheaters and liars and thieves and manipulators. Isn't that the way that the world has painted God? This, the Bible calls it unreasonable master in heaven that expects perfection and performance out of people. It's how culture painted the Samaritan, but in this story, it's not who the Samaritan was. The Samaritan actually was the only one that actually had compassion. It says they stopped by and he, he bandaged his wound. He poured oil and, and wine on him. If I could only have time to appreciate how oil represents authority and wine represents love and healing and put him on his own horse. And the horse represents authority and rode him into the city and, and took care of his needs. Hear me. Who is in your corner will determine whether you make it through this fight of life. If you have religion in your corner, you won't make it. If you have a crew that got your back in your corner, you won't make it to the 12th round. Look at you through three, maybe five, not 12. This whole setup, all the little fancy ropes and all the other good stuff, for one purpose, to let you know that Christ wants to be in your corner, to let you know that he desires to be the one that is coaching you through every battle that you face and guaranteeing your victory on the other side. We, we, we set up this whole deal. Come on, somebody, somebody say amen. There. That's a really good place. We set up all of this kind of this fighting theme and boxing and all that other good stuff. And I watch boxing. I like what UFC and all that other good stuff. And for those of you that aren't really into fighting, you're not really into boxing or whatever it may be, you may assume that boxing is a one-on-one -on -one match. That it's one fighter against another fighter. And it depends on how fast your hands are and how strong your jaw is of whether you're going to win that fight. But a real fighter understands that a fighter's not fighting by himself. Every fighter has a team. Now, his team's not in the ring with him. His team's actually in his corner. If you ever seen a boxing match, they'll go for three minutes or whatever it may be, and then the bell will ring, and they'll go to their corner. And all of a sudden, people will come out of nowhere 
and begin to tend to that fighter to get them ready for the next round. And hear me, it doesn't matter how good that fighter is without a team to tend to him or to tend to her and to make sure that they're ready for the next round, they're not going to make it. I'm going to give you just three things, three things, three people that a boxer has in their corner and, and, and three things that Christ wants to do for you. The first thing is this, he will train you to endure. Christ will train you to endure. The Bible says this in James chapter 1 verse 2, my brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. I, I was going to rush through it, but I can't because like most of the Bible, this makes no sense. It says, think of various pandemics that you encounter. Huh? Think of various job loss that you encounter, various sicknesses that you encounter as an occasion for joy. I don't care how godly or spiritual you are. That's foolishness. I am not considering tests and trials for joy. Why? Because after all, you know that the testing of your faith, somebody say this, produces, produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature. Look at somebody next to you. This is how, it's fun to be a preacher, right, by the way. You get to talk about people and they walk out the back door. I'm going to let you in on my fun a little bit. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them grow up. Come on. You, you, you've been wanting to tell that person that for a long time. Just tell, say grow up. So that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. We actually have a professional fighter here. Come on up here, AJ. Can y'all give it up for AJ? Come, come, come. He's going to jump on up here. All right, so, AJ, now we talked about this before service, okay? The Bible says, touch not the anointed one. <laughs> Don't kill me. So before we start this, question for you, and you're a professional fighter, you've fought four fights, knocked out two jokers, but they deserved it. <laughs> How long do you train before a fight? Eight to 10 weeks. Eight to 10 weeks. Of you, and I remember before service, you said twice a day, four to five times a day, eight to ten weeks for one fight. I wonder how long we train for marriage. <laughs> and, and then we wonder why we can't endure. There's things that life sends us that you're going to have to endure some tough seasons, but without some training, you're not going to have the stamina to make it. And Christ says, if you will let me, I'll let some of the tough seasons. Okay, let's go. One, two. Ready? <laughs> Come on. One, two. Oh, they ain't ready. They ain't ready. One, two, three. Ready? Last one. One, two, three, four. Yep. We ready? Yep. Am I ready? Let's go. Oh, I messed that one up. One more time. Oh, come on. Give it up for AJ. My clock's ticking, so I got to be real. Some of y'all don't have the endurance to make it through a pandemic and keep your joy. Some of you don't have the endurance to make it through an offense and to keep your marriage. 
And what Christ is saying is if you would let me be in your corner, I never promised it would always be easy. But you have to understand, I'm training you for something. I'm training you that you can finish this thing. You know, just because you have one great round doesn't mean you're going to win the fight. <laughs> just look at high school. <laughs> I mean, come on, you were prom king and prom queen. Eight years later, I saw you at Walmart. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't want to stop you because I didn't really think it was you. I had to check your Facebook to make sure that was you. Cause... Come on now. But here's the thing. And if we could talk, we should like do an interview one time. But you could probably tell me how many fighters have gotten arrogant because they got one win. So then they got lazy in the next training season. And they said, oh, I don't need to run those hills. Ah, oh, I don't need to eat right. I don't need to do this. I, God says, no, I will train you to endure. The second thing he'll do is he'll coach you to victory. He will coach you to victory. So many people have to realize that God is not just in heaven sitting on the throne waiting for you to mess up with the big stick in his hand. He is in your corner. The Bible says a still small voice whispering in your ear, say, this is the way, walk ye in it. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in all that you do and he will give you success. Here's the problem that people don't understand about God and sin. Sin doesn't affect God. He's God if I'm holy. He's God if I'm ratchet. He's not coaching us because he doesn't want us to offend him. He's coaching us because not walking according to his plan, come on now, is like dropping your hands in a fight. Why do you drop your hands? Because it feels good. Because this is exhausting. Am I right? 11 rounds in, those things are not light gloves. This is exhausting. But the enemy said, man, the second you drop into anger is the second where you don't realize it, but you're taking more hits than you're giving. Hop up here, come on. Give him, give him a couple of, a couple of, of, of uh, whatever you call it. I'm not a fighter. All that other good stuff, right? So a fighter's in the ring, he's fighting his opponent. Everybody's screaming. Good job, good job, good job. But beyond the screams, there's a coach in the corner that say, hey, get, get him off the ropes, get off the ropes, get off the ropes, come on, keep moving, keep moving. Jab, 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 oh, hands up, hands up. Come on, jab, jab. Set him up for that hook, set him up for that hook. Come on now, no, 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 don't buy that house, don't buy that house, I know the economy's good, I know the interest rate is low, but no, this isn't the season for you. No, 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 don't go on a second date. I know he's fine, I know he talks about Bible study, but it is a lie from the pit of hell. He is trying to drag you away from God. Hey, don't you dare back down, step into that promotion. Yes, you have what it takes. Yes, you have what it takes. You're not gonna fail, you're not gonna throw in the towel. You are more than enough. If if only we realize that there is a coach that is in our corner that wants to coach us to victory. You can take a break. Can 
not preach for a second. But we're spending too much time listening to the fear that is broadcasted on the news or our cousin whose business failed or that person whose marriage didn't work out. And we're allowing them to coach us up through life. You can't trust no man. That's not the coach you want. Blood is thicker than water. Trust family, never trust your spouse. No, that's not the coach you want. You want that coach that's in your corner saying, man, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. We think that God is this rule keeper that wants to keep you in this type line just because he's amused by your misery. No, he's a coach that wants to coach you to your destiny. He said, don't you know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Sean, you can play. We're going to land this plane. So he wants to coach you to endure. The final thing is this, three. He'll heal you. He will heal you beyond your past. Somebody say, Pastor, get real. I got some, some truth for you. It doesn't matter how hard you train. And it doesn't matter how good your coach is. And you could back me up on this, AJ. You're going to take a punch. You will get hit by life. Matter of fact, Jesus promised it. He said, in this world, you will face problems. Jesus is Lord and cancer is real. Y'all, it's life. I lived in a home where my dad was a pastor and we worshiped God. Our whole life was given to building the house of God. And I watched my mom battle cancer for 13 years. That's life, y'all. Life is not always <laughs> roses. Matter of fact, I think that's why so many people give up on their faith. Because you bought the lie that believing in Jesus means that I'll never see another problem again. And then the second you see a problem, you're like, this isn't working for me. If I'm going to face problems, I might as well face them at the club. <laughs> Don't do that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> she was offended. <laughs> but here's what that Samaritan did when he came. He bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. And he mended him from his past so that he could be whole for his future. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says this, but Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Ah, if I had time to preach. Y'all, transgressions are our sinful actions. Iniquities are our sinful thoughts and desires. A wound is external, a bruise is internal. 
When Jesus went to the cross, he took external wounds to break the curse over our actions. And when he went to the cross, he took internal bruising to break the curse that has taken place in our hearts and our minds. It says he was wounded and bruised that the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. The last person in a boxer's corner is the cut man. I'm not going to stick this up your nose, I promise. The cut man first will give him some water to refresh him. He'll have an ice pack and he'll put, I mean, you don't get hit much, but this is just for the message. He'll put ice on him, get some Vaseline. It's usually the eyes that take the most... It's amazing how abuse in our past will cause us to see a threat everywhere. And here's the thing, I I ought to let you preach. If you don't get properly healed from the last round, you're a sitting duck in the next one. And he doesn't do this because he's a man of God. But every other fighter, they look for the wound. You do this. (laughs) And the next round, what do you think they're coming right at? Oh, it's your self-esteem? I'm going to make sure you get rejected over and over and over again. Oh, it's your image? I'm going to make sure you fail over and just taking hits. Some of you have been in the fight of your life and you haven't gone to your corner in like six rounds. Christ is saying, will you just let me heal? I'm not going to take you out the fight. I put you in there to win it. It's not just, just, just struggle and suffer through life and wait to one day die and go to heaven. It'll all be better once you die. What kind of gospel is that? Wait to die. It gets better. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. But you got to let me in your corner. You got to let me heal you from that divorce. You got to let me heal you from that foreclosure, from that round. Yeah, you lost the round, but you haven't lost the fight. Then it says, after he had healed him or he bounded up his wounds, he took him to the inn and he left him in the inn. And he said, hey, oh, if I could preach to me. He said, I'm going to leave him here, and I'm going to go to my father, but I'll return. Take care of him, and anything that costs you, I'll pay it when I come back. I got good news, and I got bad news. What do you want first? Give me the bad news. Healing doesn't happen in a day. You don't get over a divorce in 24 hours, unless you caused it. Sorry, that's... Keep moving. You don't get over your yesterday by tomorrow. That's why the Samaritan took this wounded man and put him in a church. Say, hey, help him get whole. And I'm going to come back. In the twinkling of an eye, (laughs) the sky's going to crack. I'm going to come in on a white horse. There's going to be a trumpet sound and all the dead will be raised. But until then, men, 
some of the reason why some of you Christians have given up on church is because it was too messy for you. You, you wanted it all clean and proper and all sorts of kind of stuff. You thought, you, you thought it was a cathedral. Jesus, I never intended church to be a cathedral. It was always a hospital. It was always a place where broken people were being healed and mended and made whole and then set out to maintain the victory that Christ died for them to have. Hear me. You can't just win with Jesus. You need the end that he places people in to get you over your yesterday so you can maximize the tomorrow that he has for you. James 5, 6, confess your trespasses, your sins, your mistakes, your wounds to one another that you may be healed. I say this boldly. Your life depends on being a community of faith where you can find healing from your yesterday so you can find victory in your tomorrow. Give God glory. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that you haven't left us in this fight alone. But God, you desire to be in our corner. God, I pray, God, that you'd build our endurance, that you'll coach us in the situation that you're in, that we're in. God, that you'd heal us of our past. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, even though you're in your room or online or wherever you are, can you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, this message personal to you. It's quite simple. Here's the question. Who do you have in your corner? Some of you had religion in your corner and it failed you. You were trying through your efforts to get it together. Some of you had friends in your corner and they meant well, they love you, they just haven't been through what you've been through and they can't help you. Today Christ is saying, will you let me in your corner? Will you make me the Lord, the center, the king of your life? Because that's the only place where victory comes. If you're saying, Pastor, that's me, I've been fighting this fight on my own. I need Christ in my life. Right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for wanting me to win. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be forgiven. Thank you for healing my yesterday so can I have victory tomorrow. Be my Lord and my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.